You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Hello and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. I'm Rich Fetke. And I'm Kathy Fetke. Yeah, and today we have two of our good friends here from Malibu who have quite the journey and quite the story to share. Dusty and Cecily were in some pretty heavy debt from student loans and barely making much of an income. And they put focus and discipline and connection and working together as partners together. And they got themselves completely debt-free and now own multiple investment properties and have exceeded over a million dollar net worth. So really incredible story, lots of lessons shared. And uh, so let's talk to Dusty and Cecily about what they've learned and what they can teach us. So Dusty and Cecily, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. It's so good to have you here. We asked you to be here because your story is so inspirational. First of all, where are you right now? (laughs) It looks like we are sitting inside of our 23-foot Airstream that we moved into four months ago. And we're here at the Malibu RV Park, so uh, not too far from y'all, just down the road. Well, there's some famous people who have also lived there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He was there for, I don't know, like a year, right? Yeah. I think he was there for a little while. Um, Yeah. He hasn't been here when we've been here, but but he's been around, I guess. Well, you guys would have been best buds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We would have. (laughs) So you guys have been Real Wealth members for how long now? Maybe three years? At least three three years, maybe even four years, I I think, um, that that we got connected with the Real Wealth Network. Awesome. So just share us your, uh, share with us your story a little bit about, um, yeah, go, go back a few years, uh, maybe like right from when you guys met. Awesome. Sure. Well, uh, we met at Pepperdine University um, probably 12 years ago uh, where we were studying and then we uh, fell in love. We were actually on a trip in Kenya. I had started a nonprofit organization building ovens and doing kind of microfinance um, in East Africa um, awesome. years ago. And Cecily was a part of one of those trips and we fell in love. And so uh, after we graduated, we we got married in Kenya. We had our wedding in Kenya and spent our first year of marriage uh, living and working with a with a nonprofit organization in uh, in Nairobi for the first year uh, after after we got married. So it was about 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, during our first year of marriage, we uh, we didn't have an income. We were volunteering. And so it didn't take us long to discover how much of our student loan debt um, was, was uh, we would wind up paying back if we made the minimum monthly payments. And so after doing the math on our $85,000 worth of student loan debt, we, re- we looked at each other and we realized... We need to both get jobs so we can pay these student loan payments faster than the minimum payments. And so that's what we did. We moved back to the United States and we both uh, we both got two, at least two jobs each and in some sometimes three based on the season. And we just got crazy. We started really um, maximizing the gap between our income and our expenses so that we could take that difference and really throw it at double and in some cases triple student loan payments and it took us two and a half years but we paid off $85,000 worth of student loan debt um, and we became debt free in um, January 2014. That's awesome that's incredible and what was your income source each of you? Good question. During that time, I was working full time as a pastor at the church on campus at Pepperdine. Um, and 
uh, Cecily was working at Lululemon, mm -hmm. right? I yeah, I worked for Lululemon. It was just a retail job. But I think the, the real kicker for us was that um, I worked for housing and res life at Pepperdine. And so I got free housing for the first four years of our marriage. And then after uh, we, we transitioned to a different house and Dusty's job changed a little bit. And so he then got free housing for the last six years. And so our, our evil secret is that we've been able to live in Malibu for 10 years. And up until this year, we never paid a dime in monthly housing or rent. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call that an evil secret. I'm gonna call that a fantastic secret. Right. It, it's Smart. really important for people to understand that uh, that you know you can with the right focus you can really live anywhere. You live in the most expensive place in the world, but you didn't pay to live <laughs> for the housing expense. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, well, I'm going back to the. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I just going back to the wedding. Can you show us your wedding rings? Oh, <laughs> I yeah, just think it's have, so cool. Uh, I think that's just beautiful. Yeah. So Dusty and Cecil, I you know you guys are very active. You know, we we met at CrossFit, uh, right. so I know that's a that's a good approach around having to take your wedding ring off all the time and and talk about commitment. <laughs> right, that's right. Well, I also say that you know she can't, I can't lose it, and she can't sell it. So <laughs> of a wedding ring tattoo. Okay, so sorry about the diversion. Okay, so oh, yeah, no um, worries. So, I was just going to say that I think some of that was luck you know so we kind of fell into jobs that had some unique benefits but some of it was strategy too in the sense that we knew early on that we needed to get out of debt we wanted to crush it and so we started picking up random side jobs over the years Cecily's worked as as few as one or two jobs at a time and as many as probably four or five different jobs random wow. things like mm -hmm. you know, I was babysitting right. I was dropping kids off at school you know here in Malibu odd job sorts of things but also um, when I started freelancing what I do now professionally is I am a freelance photographer and graphic designer and so all of my work is contract for for individual clients and so you know you could say that I don't have one boss I have a hundred bosses every single one of my clients is a boss right uh, but that's what I do now. Um, but over the years, I was work I've worked for Pepperdine. I've taught fitness classes. I mean, really, just anything that um, anything that could move the needle on our our student loan payments, we would do. I love that. Nice. So during that time, we were our, our net or our gross family income was probably about seventy or seventy five thousand during those years when we were paying back our debt. So because of our free housing, we were able to put. 50 to 60% of our monthly income towards our wow. debt payment. And that was really big for us uh, at the time. And I'll never forget back in January of 2019, when we paid off our debt, we realized, or 2014, we realized that we could, we could either spend that money and buy stuff, or we could start saving and investing it. And this is where uh, you come into the picture in our story, Rich, because uh, part of our uh, debt-free journey was paying off of our, our debt so we could join CrossFit. We wanted to become CrossFitters. And nice. CrossFit Malibu um, was a splurge for us. And so it was a treat. Once we paid off our debt, we joined CrossFit Malibu. And that's where we met you. Oh, that's so cool. And you went. Uh, you did a lot of Dave Ramsey stuff, right, to, to, to kind of coach you on that? Totally. Yeah, that was really the system that we used to, um, to get on a budget. And so we... 
10 years ago and still to this day, we sit down every month and we look at our monthly income and we work our spreadsheet from top to bottom with our income at the top and our expenses. And we give, we save, we spend, we have envelopes that we put our grocery money into. We put our $600 a month in grocery, $600 a month in gas. We have a date envelope. We have spending allowances. So we really, it, it was simple then and it is simple now, even though we have a few more line items, but we we know we know how to save cash for even large purchases we've we've spent uh, we've saved up cash for our vehicle purchases we paid $25,000 for a Porsche a few years ago and we paid cash for it because we just saved up for it so it's a system that we've gotten really comfortable with that's awesome and there's a big lesson in there that i heard too it's something about we mm-hmm. uh, and just like your your hands say one you know you became right. one and so say i'd love to hear a little bit from your perspective on partnership you know you working on it together doing this monthly all that well i think um this gets back to kind of our journey uh when we were dating we realized we were going to get married we got engaged and we started doing premarital counseling and our therapist did a one of those compatibility little tests with us and we came back to the session when he was presenting the results of the test that we had done independently and he said I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And he said, the good news is that the compatibility test shows that you guys are really compatible. There are a lot of areas of your life that, that, that mesh. And he said, but the bad news is there's one area of your life that you two are complete opposites in. You just think differently and uh, approach this area very differently. And that area was finances. Money. We had very different perspectives on money. Okay. And we talk a lot about how this goes back to our family of origin and just kind of the difference in our upbringing. Um, I grew up in a really rural community in Indiana. I grew up in government subsidized housing Um, at various times throughout our life. My family was below the poverty line. And Mm -hmm. I have memories of our church community um, bringing us food to to eat so we could have food for the week. And so- I grew up, sorry, a little emotional. I talk about that, but um, Mm. I grew up in a context where, uh, where we didn't have a lot. And so if you wanted anything beyond the basics, um, my, my family fell into a, a, a habit of using credit cards, uh, really to survive for a period of time when my dad would lose his job. Um, but then, in time, they, my family got used to using credit cards and used to using debt. And so we saw, my family saw debt as a tool. And I think in a period of time, it helped us get by, but then it kind of became a beast. Um, and mm-hmm. so I grew up with, you know, if, if I wanted something, I just borrowed to get it. Or I'll never forget, I was telling a story in the class that we teach at Pepperdine today about um, the student loan money that I used to buy a Jeep Wrangler rather than pay for school. I, I borrowed money and then bought a Jeep. So that was kind of yeah. my approach to finances. Um, oh, and Cecily, um, your background was a little different. Yeah, a little different. My um, my folks used, they did have credit cards and they did use debt, but they were, they were very judicious with it. It was very much uh, like debt is the tool, debt is a tool sort of mindset. And if you have credit cards, pay them off every month. Um, so I was comfortable with that, uh, but still, still definitely had a little bit more of a paradigm of don't like never buy something that you don't have the income to support. And so, you know, you never want to live outside of your means. And so, and I think that is um, for us anyway, that's a major temptation behind 
um, behind engaging with debt is that it does enable you to perhaps live a lifestyle that is outside what your incomes can support. And so yeah. I know it's a really hard line that we've taken. Um, and it's, it's also not for everyone, um, but it has definitely it has resulted in a lot of peace in our relationship with regard to just discipline and knowing our history and knowing knowing that um, that the tendencies that we naturally have um, that would probably get out of hand uh, if we if we enabled ourselves the opportunity. She's to talking about my tendencies cards. that would get out of hand. <laughs> it's okay, but that challenge was one that that we saw early on in our relationship, and so it became something that we had to work together through. And I would say now, uh, 11 years later, it's one of our best um, successes as a couple. And it has really helped form this us that we see each other having this team teamwork, but it really was rooted in this kind of financial challenge early on. Well, and one thing to just jump in on that is that I don't think we're alone in this in experiencing that finances can be a major challenge or an obstacle right. because like, statistically um 50 of of the reason of divorces occur because of disagreements over finances and so it's uh, you know we knew that we didn't want to go down that path and you know obviously like we're we're far from considering divorce but um, but it was a path that we didn't even want to um didn't want to even toy with and so we took a really hard line with that Wow, good for you. So I'm curious, what I'd love to hear is actually where you are now, go a little backwards here, where are you right now, financially and in all that and your level of real wealth, and then maybe we'll go back and kind of like, look at how did you get here? Yeah. yeah. Nicole? Well, no, we, um, we hit a big milestone this year, actually, a couple months ago, we hit a million dollar net worth. Woo! <laughs> yes. Nuts. And and like that, I'm Great. 34, Dusty's 36. It's it's not something that's a, a number that we that we really I don't know if we ever pictured ourselves at that point, much less at this age. Wonderful. So it really is such a testament to like I was saying earlier, really maximizing the gap between your your income and your expenses. And it's almost scary how quickly momentum can turn over if you really um, get focused and, and you you don't mess around in your 20s. Yeah. That's cool. And that doesn't include your primary residence because you're <laughs> sitting in it. Right. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> Our primary residence right now has wheels. So. <laughs> I love it. That that's just amazing, you guys. You're such an inspiration in so many ways. So, how did you get from paying off, like like Ridge said, paying off your student loan debt and making that a focus to being millionaires? Yeah, um, I, I think a couple things really uh, tell this story. Uh, as we mentioned back in 2014, when we joined CrossFit Malibu, we met Rich Fetke. And uh, I, you remember Rich back in the day, we would we would have coffee after morning workouts. And yeah. I remember one of those days we were talking and I think I had asked you what you do and you started explaining like, oh, you you know, you run the own this thing called Real Wealth Network. And then you started talking about what real wealth means, you know, this mm -hmm. this idea of having the freedom and and finances to live life on your own terms. Yeah. And as you're telling this story, I, I felt like I like inside I was like, yes, like that's exactly the the life we desire. And to an extent at the time it was even the life we were living, it was just on a small scale, right? Mm -hmm. um, we lived very small, but we had freedom, you know, we were not in debt. Um, and we could, to some extent, make freedom choices. Mm -hmm. And so I think that conversation and then the, you know, thinking about 
um, real estate and thinking about uh, investment properties, really from our first conversation, got this ball rolling. And I'm, I'm a researcher. I'm a strategist. I like reading. And so, you know, we I looked up the Real Wealth Network. I became a member, I think, probably shortly after our conversation mm-hmm. and started using all the tools that you all offer. Uh, we got connected with one of the investment uh, counselors, um, Ben, uh, and chatted with him about um, what that would look like. And at that time we were, we were saving, right? So we paid off all of our debt and we had this chunk of money every month and we, we were deciding, you know, do we want to spend this on nice things and experiences or do we want to invest? And so that's when we started heavily saving and investing, maxing out all of our retirement accounts um, and then putting the rest into a mutual fund that we were building for potential uh, property purchases. And so uh, I think that discipline as the financial ball got bigger, it started uh, it started rolling bigger. The discipline turned into, mm-hmm. you know, this big snowball for yeah. us for the last five or six years, really. Totally. Yeah. And it was in, um, it was in December, 2018 that we took our first trip to Detroit, our only trip we went and visited. We, um, we drove around Detroit, looked at some houses, drove, and we connected with, and then- Which was a real wealth network yeah. part, uh, partner in Detroit that we connected right. with. Mm-hmm. And then a month later, we- we purchased a house through them. And so our first house we bought in, uh, was it just January, 2019? Yeah. yeah. I think it was January, 2019. And we paid cash for that one. Do you remember how much? Yeah, it was 85,000. Okay. So we paid nice. 85 cash for our first house and that was a single family dwelling. Um, I think it rented at nine fifty a month. So that was our first, first real estate, first, first like little toes in the water. And then, but we immediately kept, we kept our system going. We kept saving our income. We didn't change our expenses or anything like that. We both still kept our jobs. And then later that year in December, 2019, we purchased our second property, which was a duplex. And we paid, I think we paid 65 65. for that and Mm -hmm. then put 20 into it because it needed a roof and it needed a water heater. And so it wound up costing us 85 same as the first one but this time it was a duplex so three doors all in detroit um which kicked out was it like 2200 a month yeah about 2200 a month in in income off of those right so that those were our first big steps towards um passive income you know it was Mm -hmm. the first time that we were getting checks uh and, and of course you guys know that real estate's not entirely passive we would you know check in with the property manager and things like that but but i remember getting those early checks and thinking wow i did very little work this month for that check nice good for you awesome was it scary that first purchase for you guys for sure for sure and and every purchase has been scary just because (laughs) um one of the things that we we've done that i maybe not everyone does is we have not physically been in any of our our properties. Uh, we purchased them all. Purchased them all from from out of state. Uh, mm-hmm. We we toured and we met the property manager and we we toured Detroit and looked at different homes. But we actually didn't buy any of the ones that we looked at. Um, wow. And so, in some ways, what we've done goes against kind of conventional wisdom or the wisdom that I you know grew up with of of like Old you wisdom. buy a house <laughs> and you can see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so um, and so. There's a little bit of fear involved in that, but we've always felt like um, everything that you want in life is on the other side of of the things you're afraid to do, right? And so we we knew that it would move us in the right direction, and it has. It's been funny, too, um, when people hear that we have purchased properties in Detroit, we kind of always get the eyebrow raise, and people are like... (laughs) 
you know, you know, houses go for like two thousand dollars in Detroit, and we're like, not those houses. Those are <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you no, know, people. It, it is a little bit. Um, it's a little bit of the wild west, and there's a lot of variety in terms of what um, you can purchase. But we do. We like Detroit, um, and and it's so far it's gone well for us. And and as has Cleveland. We also just purchased houses in Cleveland, which we'll get to. But um, just because of the purchase price to monthly rental ratio, I mean, it's just such a strong ratio. We we look for that one percent rule, uh, and uh, and houses in cities in the midwest um at, at a certain price point um can can really can really hit that and have for us yeah yeah normally it's uh, those are cash flow markets only but uh you bought right before those areas went up in value so have you seen increases in the property values since you bought uh, to be honest I, I haven't even checked you know we, <laughs> when, we bought, when we bought them we envisioned owning them for a really long time mm -hmm. uh we this gets back to kind of our 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 interest and passion is in um, that that real wealth definition of of having the freedom to live life on your own terms. And awesome. for us, freedom is our top core value as a couple. Wow. And so we wanted to we were more interested in cash flowing properties that would provide some some income so that we would have options of where we lived or where we traveled or the work that we did um, rather than an appreciation approach. Um, mm -hmm. And so we uh, our 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 goal and our, our strategy continues to be to keep building up those, those houses that are pr producing some sort of monthly passive income for us. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't even checked what, what they would be valued at at this, at this point. It'd be interesting to That's see. Yeah. So uh, recently you really both became job optional, right? You're, what are you doing now? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So this has been a big year. I would say um, I, I've been thinking about like three big things happened for us this year. Um, as Cecily mentioned, we, we became millionaires, um, but my dad also died this year. Mm -hmm. And that was a big um, blow to our plan and to life in general. It was unexpected. He was 68. Um, he was very healthy. Um, he had always been a inspiration for us. Um, he and my mom have had a great marriage. They were some models and mentors of, of ours on what it looks like to be a team. And so that really, I think, um, shook our foundation. And the other part of that was um, this question that I think comes up for us and probably comes up for a lot of people of, of how much is enough? Um, when do you have enough money? When do you have enough savings? When do you have enough retirement? Mm. And, um, and my dad's death was this moment of us saying like, I think we have enough, right? Like, I, I don't know what enough is, um, but we want to live in a way that that allows us to spend a little more time with family, um, spend more time intentionally with the community that we know and love. Um, and so my dad's death uh, kind of triggered the third big thing that happened this year, which was me quitting my job. Yeah. It was something we hadn't necessarily planned to do, but we realized, um, if, if I quit my job, we can step into some more freedoms that, that are important to us at this time. And so I quit my job back in June. I've loved my job. I've worked at a great church uh, over the years. Um, I, I'm sad to leave in some ways, but really excited for some of the new things that we're able to do. 
Yeah, I mean, we 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 had kind of hit a milestone too this year where um, Dusty started his the working for our church, which we still go there, by the way. So it's kind of cool. It's like formerly his workplace, but now it's just all of our friends and loved ones. Awesome. Oh, that's great. So we he started working for that church in 2011. So this year, 2021, was 10 years there, and we just looked at each other and we have just been amazed by how quickly the last decade has gone, and and realized that if we're not careful, the next decade will go by just as quickly and and then Dusty's dad died this year and Dusty mentioned this like he was 68 do you think he thought at 34 that his life was half over no no I'm 34 Dusty's 36 and so it really hit us hard to realize that like we may be staring down the second half of our lives already and so if that is true what things have we left undone what um what things are our peers doing that we maybe don't want to step into and what things um do do we want to step into so and and we're comfortable with being um with being a little bit nonconformist. like we don't have kids here we are living in an airstream um so we're comfortable with doing weird things and doing weird person things i mean we, we paid <laughs> off our student loan debt super fast like and part of the way we did that was by eating beans and rice rice and beans when all of our friends were <laughs> Expending like all their money because you know your first few paychecks in your 20s seem so giant but instead of instead of blowing that and going on vacations to Cabo we were paying off our debts and so we're comfortable with living a little bit different um and I think one of the big lessons we've learned in this journey is that um how you earn and spend your money should always be informed and bathed by your values what you value most um Ooh, for us yeah what we value most is freedom and the freedom to spend uh, plenty of time together, unlimited amounts of time together, the freedom to enjoy this beautiful nature that's just right outside our doorstep, the freedom to um, work out at any hour of the day. I mean, even that can sound kind of casual, but like we really enjoy working out. It's a, it's a source of connection for us and a source of community for us. And so freedom is our value, but that's not everyone's value. I think, you know, some people's highest value is family, in which case the way you earn and the way you spend should be informed by the value of family and some people's value is is health and wellness in which case the way you earn and the way you spend should serve that priority and so i think awesome. regardless of uh, there's no right or wrong way to go about things i would never say that everyone should should like spend their 20s working super hard so they can retire as early as possible and move into an airstream that's just what we did because our highest value is freedom yep. yeah I love, that. I love that and even uh counseling a lot of young married people about to get married or married couples with this concept, right? Is that something you want to be doing more of? It really yes. is. Yeah. As we step into kind of this next stage of life, um, we have, we have, we've sat at the feet of so many wise mentors. Um, we count you two as, as some of them and oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we have been, we desire to support others in their journey of of living well holistically. So what that looks like through the lens of faith or or finances or relationship or marriage. Um, and so we we are intentionally setting up opportunities to spend more time in that space of sitting with other couples, supporting people in their their financial journey, um, mm -hmm. things like that. I feel like that's, you know, you, thank you that we're, we're mentors and uh, really honestly you two are 
equally mentors to us. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yesterday, we were talking to our friend Julian about your Instagram accounts and how much wisdom and what you share and the, the deep thoughts and um, the humility and everything. And it's like, and it, I think it was Julian who said something that's like, yeah, it's almost like a take like a mentorship approach to Instagram. It's just like, wow, you know, not many people take that approach. So I just want to call call that out. It's really, really cool. And you live it. I mean, our daughter was so lucky. Well, both of our daughters, uh, Karina got to do marriage counseling with you before they got married last Mm -hmm. year. And then Krista was lucky enough to be able to get to know you in high school uh, when she was in the, in the youth group, the church youth group. And she would always come home and say, mom, you know, Dusty and Cecily are so unique. They, when they got married, they didn't want to need marriage counseling. So they went to marriage counseling so they wouldn't need marriage counseling. (laughs) And I was like, that's super brilliant. And she, she just, oh, so many people admire you and love you. Now, Rich and I um, didn't take that approach. You know, we, we didn't really do much marriage counseling. And, and, uh, and so when we did it, it's because we needed it. Right. So I, I love, I love that. And um, I mean, what else, what other advice would you give to couples who are entering this, this, you know, beautiful thing called marriage that is, is this unifying two people into one? Um, yeah, what, what other messages would you give? Something that we think about a lot and we, we talk about with couples is that if you were to go to, um, if you were to go to a, a hospital, you know, if you were to have a broken arm and you show up at the emergency room, um, and you, you walk in and the, the doctor treating you says, Oh, I've, I've never studied this, but, but people have had broken arms for thousands of years. So I, I think I can kind of like, you know, tape it up and you'll be fine. Like that would seem crazy, <laughs> right? Like you would walk yeah. out like, I'm not, I'm not Run out. <laughs> a doctor who has never, never, you know, trained or studied this. And I think we unfortunately approach marriage in the same way in our culture. We think that it is an institution that has existed for thousands of years because it has. People have been getting married for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and so we just assume that that means we must be good at it, right? If we've mm-hmm. done it forever as a culture, we must have it down. Well, we know that's not true um, right. based on the, the number of unhappy relationships or um, relations, relationships that end up broken. Um, and so our perspective is uh, I, we approach um, you know, learning about marriage and being students of marriage like, like we want to get a PhD in it, right? We want to be experts in understanding everything about each other, which a lot of that has to do with understanding a lot about ourselves, because usually, you know, who you are and how self-aware you are impacts your relationship. And so we've been on a journey, I would say, over the last um, 10 or 11 years of, of knowing ourselves better, knowing our fam- familial story, knowing um, the things that we like and don't like, all of those things. Uh, and then uh, understanding how that impacts our us. And so something that we try to share with, with couples is that marriage should be your hobby. You know, you should read the books, you should uh, invest time, invest money in, in, in ways that draw you closer together, the same way that you would if you were getting a college degree in something. Yeah, or studying real estate. Right. <laughs> yeah, we see people obsessed with studying real estate, but yeah, put that same obsession into the other important things in your life. That's right. I'll jump in with one thing too, if that's okay. Um, I think one of the best pieces of marriage advice I've ever received is that 
you should fight about everything because what's the alternative? Like this is gonna, if this is going to be a 50 year relationship uh, and you in, in year two or year three or year five, you, you have conversations already that you have to tiptoe around and that you want to avoid and that you kind of sweep under the rug and tuck away. Mm -hmm. Are you going to do that for the next 45 years? See what you're like if you're avoiding, if you're avoiding conversations like that three or five years in. So there is nothing too small or too um, inconsequential to um, to bring up and to discuss. And and in fact, um, the more the more small things you talk about, the more um, you you stop them from becoming big things. Do you have a structure for those conversations that you recommend? Actually, yeah, we um, we have we call it the daily check in and it's very simple because simple is powerful every night. Um, we each ask each other just, and this is usually like our pillow talk, like as the lights are out and we're about to fall asleep, we say, what did you like about us today? What did you not like about us today? Okay. And so it's basically picking like a high and a low about our relationship. And so I'll, I'll answer the question. What, what did I like about us today? And then I'll share what I didn't like about us today or vice versa. And then Dusty will share the same thing. And sometimes those items are, are, you know, innocuous and it's like, oh, I really loved going to the gym with you, or I really kind of enjoyed going to the grocery store and laughing, or I didn't like that we didn't spend much time together, or I didn't like the way you responded when I asked you to help me with that thing. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times the hard things will turn into good conversations and they might elicit apologies or they might elicit like really good conversations and questions about how can we do better. Uh, but it really, it's something that I have come to look forward to. I know we both do come to look forward to so much because it's a structured check-in that you're never going to get the time to talk about things in the moment that hurt, right? If something happens in passing at two o'clock in the afternoon, but you, you know that that there will be a moment at the end of your day that's a little bit sacred and that's that's quiet and that there aren't any distractions around for you to be able to talk about that and process those things that can sometimes be hard. That's great. And you're able to sleep after that. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, right? Better. Well, and that's something that we've learned is that a practice or discipline like that, um, the, the, the worst time to start it is when something big happened yes. and you're like, okay, we need to do a daily check-in because I'm really unhappy with you right now. <laughs> that, that, you know, it turns into this, you know, crazy argument, but uh, the discipline of doing it every day means that we have built a space of trust over the last 11 years um, where, where we know that some days it'll be just little things. And then that has prepared us for bigger, um, you know, more difficult conversations. Yeah. You have a way to, mm. to have that conversation too. I love that, that is so cool. Nice. So what's next for you guys in your, in your real wealth? Yeah, good question. So this semester, we've been teaching a class at Pepperdine. Um, it's called The Art and Science of Living Well. And we built this class as a way to, um, to engage with our students, not necessarily to be the teachers, um, but to be collective learners. And so we, we talk about, um, we talk about finances, we talk about relationships, we talk about mm -hmm. spirituality, we talk about fitness, and we're kind of posing the question, um, what does it mean to live well? And how do you know if you are? And so those conversations in class have been really fun for us. So um, we, that's what we've been doing this semester. In the spring, um, we have some travels. Um, Cecily's going to be doing some photography, possibly in Bali. We've got some a Hawaii shoot that she's doing. So a, a little more adventure travel, um, more time on the road, maybe some more time getting the Airstream out on the road as well. 
Awesome. Love it. That sounds great. Love it. And Cecily, it's been fun to watch your business grow. Thank you know, you. Yeah. yeah, she's become such a in-demand photographer. And I think when we first met, it was kind of new, maybe. Yes, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I think I got my first photography client in 2013. And with trembling hands, I took his senior pictures. And, and now <laughs> I shot two weddings last weekend. And, you know, Amazing. you never... You never totally get used to it. There's still, um, I still have that like pit in my stomach as I'm driving to a wedding. Like, I hope nothing goes wrong. But, uh, but I have, I've, I have improved both in skill and in confidence over the years, and I, I feel really proud of that. And I feel, I feel like photography is one of those things that, um, with every passing year, I. I see even more the value of it because people age and parents parents age and die and the number of people who call me up five years after their wedding and say you know my grandmother died um, a couple of years uh -huh. after my wedding and the beautiful photo that you took of me and her we played in her funeral and and I know that I will be getting more and more calls and emails like that over the years and so I I see photography as more than more than like a self-serving vanity um, which it certainly can be if you open up social media and you see that um, but I think it it is truly bottling up like special relationships and emotions and and the way mm -hmm. your loved ones looked at a particular beautiful moment in their life and that um, that is priceless mm. yeah, that's beautiful love that <laughs> awesome all right you guys well we are just it's been so wonderful I learned so much about you I've known you for so many years now and I just learned so much it was such a pleasure I'm looking forward to the book that you're going to write I don't know if you knew you're going to write it but I'm looking forward to it <laughs> for sure and thank you for reading my book Dusty Dusty gave me great feedback one which I don't know if we've announced that I that I my book's coming out in the beginning of the year my second book 20 years later so I really that's awesome Rich it's great and it's going to be a great read for uh your audience and really for anyone you know uh from any background could, could benefit from reading it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So it, especially what you're saying about time is when, when Rich and I first met, uh, we would do these future selves, uh, which you'd picture yourself 20 years in the future. And it seems so far away. And here we are 20 years later, you're, you're, you know, we're having our 25th anniversary in January yeah. and, uh, and yeah, 20 years since you wrote your book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots, Amazing. lots changed. <laughs> lots happened. A lot of lessons. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks so much, you two. Thanks right. for your wisdom and congratulations you. on your million dollar net worth. That's yeah. that's great. So Being awesome. Being debt free too. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Thank Stay you. Good. And thank you for joining us here on The Real Wealth Show. You can go to realwealthshow.com to get access to all that information that Dusty and Cecily were talking about. 500 or so free webinars, everything from uh, how to really reduce your taxes to how to get a really good loan or 10 loans or over 10 loans uh, to buy your investment properties and lots of data on different cities. You can get that all for free at realwealthshow.com. Yeah, and access to a whole bunch of investment properties. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Referrals to teams across the country who can help you get those properties and build that portfolio. Yeah, thanks for being with us. All right, see you next time. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.